Hey Siri, find me a dope podcast for black insurance professionals. Connecting you to Sobel Live. What's up, Sober family? Welcome to Sober Live, where industry and culture meet. I'm T. Priester, co-founder of Sober and president of Noble. Wake up, TP. I'm up. I'm up. I was just <laughs> laughing. I was looking at the uh, our little intro video there, and I'm like, I'm going to have to update my photo. I, I got some gray <laughs> that's right. not showing up in that photo, so I need to upgrade it so I don't look like one of these kids capping on social media. All right. We'll right. this picture. And I got a lot less hair, so we, right. we got some updates to do. Uh, well, I didn't welcome myself because I was just trying to mess with him. But hello, everyone. This is Shay Norman. Um, I am the co-founder of Soba, and I'm wearing several hats right now. So like I said, you all just get used to me introducing myself as myself. How you doing today? I'm good. I've been battling something over the weekend. I don't know what's going on. I've been real sluggish. Um, you know, not feeling up to you. Know, I'm I'm always low key anyway. You know what I'm saying? I'm 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 low maintenance. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know what's going on today. I've been just kind of drinking some tea and some water, trying to get back at it. It's yeah. Monday. I hate starting the week off sluggish. Yeah. Well, take a COVID test. Um, hopefully it's not that. Yeah, because we got a we got a busy week. I can't afford to yeah. be dealing with the vid right now. Yeah. And plus, you know what? Today is August 1st and that marks the beginning of the best month out of the year. Why? Yes, yours truly. It is my birthday, the 21st of this month. So I'm already on that. Yeah. Where'd you go last year? Were you in Puerto Rico last year? No, actually, I didn't really celebrate my birthday last year. Um, Had some family things going on. So I was I was in Miami. I did post something. I was in Miami, but um but really didn't do much celebrating last year. You got plans for this year? I do, but it is in conjunction with work. I think I'm going to be down in New Orleans, which is cool because that's one of my favorite spots. You don't always have to go international, you know? Right. Um we got some really really great spots and New Orleans is one of them, so I'm looking forward to that. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well, Sober Family, it is Monday. You know how we do. Thank you all for joining us for Sober Live. Do me a favor as you jump in, throw your name and where you're listening from in the comments. And any other comments you have throughout the show, go ahead and drop them in there. And we'll definitely try to get to them. So, Shay, let's kick off today as we usually do with some industry news. You got any stories for us this week? Yes, I do. Um, so as, as this is happening in real time, um, I'm actually having someone work on something for me while we're doing this pod. So hopefully you hear nothing in the background. Um, but yeah, with industry news, basically number one, I I just chose a story or two and what's going on, Isaac Mitchell. We see you chiming in, in the chat. 
tell us where you're calling from. I don't know if you know Isaac Mitchell, but I don't. You're new to me. So just tell us where you're calling in from or chiming in from. Um, for some West Coast news, but still big enough story to mention uh, for all of us, since it may have some implications for the rest of the country, uh, GEICO closes California insurance offices laying off hundreds. Um, so the state is, of course, monitoring the situation, right? Looking after consumers, so to speak. Um, seems like they've had the same insurance commissioner for the last eight years, so they might be doing a good job then. But they're closing actually 38 offices and a spokeswoman for Geico says they're going to continue to write policies in California and they remain available through direct channels um, for the more than 2.18 million customers out there. Um, so I thought that was really interesting because I'm not sure if they're losing money at a clip that caused them to do that. And then it was interesting because while they are closing these offices, they are opening um, new offices in a couple areas in Florida. And we all know what's, you know, what's been going on down there. So right. maybe they're shifting their resources to the state that seems to be at kind of like at the bottom of the totem pole right. um, in regards to um, companies that are covering um, insurance and Isaac is in Tampa, Florida. So I'd be interested to know your take on this, Isaac, um, as far as Florida and everything that has been happening in Florida in regards to uh, auto and homeowners insurance companies leaving that state. But yeah, any 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 comment on that, or did you see that in the news? No, I didn't. But I know there's been a lot going on in Florida. Um, especially I, again, I don't pay too, too much attention to the PNC stuff, yeah. but I did have some news stories pop up over the last couple of weeks about, you know, some of the changes in Florida. So like you, I'm curious to really hear how this is affecting our PNC agents, right? Because what, with those offices pulling out, how many customers you said they had two point something million, 2. 18 million California yeah. customers. That, that's a lot of people that could be affected. So, yeah. you know, I wonder if this is an opportunity for, you know, our PNC agents that work with other companies to go in and replace that business or, you know, how does that work with so many customers now kind of in limbo trying to feel, figure out what's going on with their Yeah, coverage? it's interesting because they say that there are so many other insurance carriers out there. I want to say like about 130 um, that service the car insurance space and then another 70 companies that write homeowners. So I thought that was interesting for Geico to come back and say, well, they're not going to be, you know, left out there because all of these other companies. So I'm going to tell you what the, the car, the auto insurance companies seem like there's new ones popping up every day. Like I see ads for companies I've never heard of before. Um, you know, you got the big ones, the Progressive, the Geico, State Farm, Allstate. But it seems like there's a, a whole bunch of new ones just popping up. So it seems like there's still great opportunity in that space. And I know in most states, if not all, by now, it's mandatory to have, you know, auto insurance. So, yeah, you know, it, it looks like, again, there's still a huge opportunity in that space, especially with some of the bigger carriers falling back. It's interesting that you should say that. So the next story is about Lemonade Insurance. So today, mm -hmm. 
um, in earnings, they definitely got a boost in value because they just acquired Metro Mile. This was my first time hearing about Metro Mile, I think. Um, it's a pay-per-mile pay per car company. Okay. And I'm sorry, car insurance company. And even though their shares are up today, Lemonade, that is, they're still down 50% year to date. So a whole bunch of, you know, tumultuous times going on over there, but they're really sounding optimistic about this last acquisition. It says that um, Lemonade CEO Daniel Shriver says that from where Lemonade stands, they can see an entire available market. So just piggybacking on what you just talked about. See, Lemonade is not one of the juggernauts of the car insurance world yet. Right. They offer their homeowners, their renters and their pet. Now, six months ago, they did add the car insurance, but he basically says this is a fourth of a trillion dollar market and they don't have any of it so far. So he's pretty confident about um, their move. He said that customers are really banging on the door to do the bundled coverage, which, right. I mean, I get it, but banging on their door. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So while the pandemic gave, you know, a lot of people, I guess time to think about and look for insurance like a Metro Mile that says, hey, I'm not really driving that much. Yep. Why don't I seek out this company and pay per mile? But now with the pandemic softening and people driving a lot more, what do you think? Um, do you think that's a good play? Do you think people are going to go back to the traditional companies, even though the economy is where it is? Yeah, I think it's a good play because we don't know what's coming down the pipe next. Right. So. I've seen this play. Um, my car was in the shop and, you know, I extended my rental. I, I maxed out my rental. So I was looking for other options. And there's actually a company, I think it's called Flex. And they offer um, a pay per mile model. I think it's like $80 a week and then you pay for, my, for, for mileage. So I'm seeing this pop up a lot more, you know, now, again, you know, we're, we're not completely out of, you know, COVID, yeah. but a lot of things have opened up, but we've seen, you know, with, with the great resignation, a lot of people haven't gone back to work. And, you know, if you're not on the road every day and if you're not using your car every day, I think these models make perfect sense. Well, clearly so does Daniel Shriver and um, some others who are jumping into the space. Sadly enough, though, I will say that um, after the statement, July 28th, where they talked about um, this acquisition, acquisition, excuse me, um, they talked about how most Metro Mile, most Metro Mile employees would transition to roles over at Lemonade, but about 20% of Metro Mile's employees were were laid off. But of course, I mean, you got to trim for duplication and yeah. who knows what other models were just not going to be a fit uh, for this. But I um, thought that was interesting. I'll probably continue to to follow it a, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely been seeing more of those those type of subscription models popping up. I might have to take a look at the cost. Um, Isaac, he says, I'm health only, new to the business. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm glad you made it here tonight. And if you got a suggestion about any topic that you would like to see on Sober Live, just add it. We're, we're really, really organically growing here. And we appreciate all the input from all Sober members and watchers of the show. Yeah. So something I forgot to mention in 
the intro, um, we just lost Bill Russell. Yeah. You know, one of the best, not just black basketball players, one of the best athletes we've ever seen. Right. Right. So, you know, I just want to send our condolences out to the family. I mean, a great loss. He was still very active in, you know, the NBA with, with players and, you know, policy and things that were being done. So, you know, that, that's a great loss. Um, I believe he was, was it 88 or 89? I think it was 88. Okay. It is a great loss, but at the same time, what a heck of a contribution all those years, all those highlights, not just on the court, but off the court. Um, like you said, shout out to the family because they've been able to claim, you know, as as a family member, someone so great. So, um, yeah. yeah, shout out to them. Yeah. So it said he transitioned peacefully with his wife by his side. So, you know, great to hear that, you know, he didn't suffer anything like that, but will definitely be missed. And my culture piece, I'm kind of drab here today with this second piece. I'm, I'm dealing with some um some sad stories, but I, I did want to cover this. This came across my inbox about a week ago, and it was a study that was released by the National Center for Education Statistics. And it was talking about school shootings, mm-hmm. right? So school shootings in 2020 and 2021 soared to the highest number in two decades. Right. So they're saying, you know, some of the contributing factors are, you know, cyberbullying, the pandemic, um, just a lot going on, you know, with with children, with kids these days. Most recently, we had the um, school shooting in Texas where, you know, we lost 19 children and two kids. But, you know, I was thinking about it today when it comes to talking to our clients about insuring their kids. Right. That's. Mm. A very tough conversation because no parent ever wants to think about having to bury their kid. I mean, selling is tough enough. But then when you're pivoting and having those conversations about, you know, what about the kids? That's a really, really tough, you know, conversation to have. But the really the reality is that there were 93 incidents with casualties in public and private schools over the last two years. Ninety three. And, you know, I, I was thinking about. When I was growing up, I don't really remember ever hearing about school shootings. Now, I know, you know, we have the Internet and 24-7 access now, but, um, you know, I, I don't really remember hearing these type of stories and seeing these numbers skyrocket. Yeah. It's just crazy. Now, you know, I don't ever want to be one of those, you know, corny agents that jump on social media after tragedy happens, talk about, hey, you know, inbox me for a quote so, you know, we can take care of your kids or whatever. But I do believe we need to have these conversations. But at the same time, we need to be tactful and sensitive to where people are. So, you know, I was reading that article and just thinking, you know, to our sober family, I know it's a tough conversation, but we need to have it because if we don't, we leave our clients exposed. Yeah. If they lose a kid, if they lose a child, right? A funeral for a child is not that much less expensive than it is for an adult. And, you know, with, with this economy and inflation and, you know, everything going on, most people aren't sitting on eight to $10,000 to bury, you know, a family member. So, again, as, as tough as it may be, you know, I encourage you, encourage your clients, have those conversations about making sure that they do consider covering their kids, their family with life insurance. Yeah. And 
it is a really uh that's a really heavy uh conversation to have but it's necessary and it's so interesting i take the time to say this um it's so interesting that you bring this up clearly i'm in a new space right and and still getting things together but this weekend one of the things i did um shout out to me i made it through a very hot weekend with no ac just got turned on last night but during that time what i did was i was just kind of steadily cleaning out my office and i ran across the policy or the tax i'm sorry facts um for me sending off for an insurance policy for one of my nieces and one of my nephews um and unfortunately for my family my nephew is no longer with me mm. and um that policy didn't stay in place and and that was not necessarily on on me per se um i don't know there's probably more i could have done to make sure that that policy did stay in place i was really kind of young in the industry but i remember how important it was for me to sit down with my siblings and make sure that they at least understood the policies why they need them how much they would cost them and some of them we went we went ahead and put in place and i always remember how difficult it was for my family having discussions around paying for his services even though the money was there just you want your things in order you right. want things in place the insurance would have would have um helped us out tremendously it would have helped out my sister as she needed to recover my entire family as we needed to recover from that aftermath we're still recovering to this day um his siblings so just imagine if that policy had been put in place and i don't remember it might have been um five hundred thousand something like that i'm not sure uh, but the conversation, because my heart was in the right place, the conversation actually wasn't that difficult. And I believe I said it on here a time or two before. I'll say it again because it's something I really believe in. When we make decisions in life, period, um, as sales agents, as parents, as aunts and uncles, whoever, when we make decisions, if you really think about it, um, at the core of it, either you're moving in fear or you're moving in a space of like love and faith. And so if you're the type of agent that connects with SOBA, I would say that we are really heartfelt about the work that we do, no matter who the client is. And I would hope that we're leading with love and faith and not necessarily fear of any type. And um, I would just offer that up to anyone who knows how heavy that conversation is. Like you said, you just gotta make a decision. What is this worth? You know what I mean? For this family and what is the potential loss? It's not even a secret. That was 2014. Fast forward today in the stats you just talked about, there is no secret that it is a need. And when we sit down and we say we're talking to families about insurance, that family comprises of those children. Um, so we need to talk about multi-policy, making sure that the entire family is covered um, because it's just, it's just too important and too impactful um, not to. So, so I don't want to take that too long, but, but no, no, no. I know we got a, a topic, but I want to stay there for for one minute. Yeah. So this is definitely a conversation we can flesh out another time. But real quickly, why do you think 
you you didn't have an issue with that conversation, but I hear time and time again that being a very difficult conversation for a lot of people in our community. Mm -hmm. Right. So why why do you think that is? Like why do you think we don't want to have those conversations? You know what? I think all too often, and this is not just about life insurance, um, maybe even in sales, but let's keep it to insurance. I think all too often agents will put themselves in the shoes of the client or prospect, but an un uneducated consumer, um, a consumer doesn't who doesn't understand like we understand. And I'm not sure why that happens. I don't I don't know if it's lack of confidence that you begin to match the level of the client who you're supposed to be educating, who, you know, doesn't doesn't fully understand insurance. Right. They don't understand the gravity of not having it. You have to as an agent, I feel we need to be educated on what happens when we don't have it on the opportunity yeah. cost on the on the impact to the family and leave from a place of an advisor we know the numbers and if we don't we should those numbers help give us confidence like what you just talked about as far as how many how many children has has been lost have been lost excuse me just in reference to school shootings so we arm ourselves with that information and really live out the mission to save families and to ensure families. You cannot put yourself in the position of an uninformed consumer. You do want to meet them where they are, get a good understanding of their lifestyle, their expenses, um, their income trajectory, their current income. There's so much we want to get. But then you take that information and you filter it back to them with solutions based on your expertise as an agent if you haven't yet gained that expertise come talk to come talk to one of us you know um let us get you right in terms of either leading from fear or leading from faith and love it's just that simple yeah i, I like that from your expertise not your personal experience i think that makes a huge difference yeah, absolutely. Like and, and if your expertise ain't there, you need to get it get it together. Yeah, because it's too important. People um, are out here looking for solutions. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Great info. So as we transition out of industry news, we have an ad for this week. Uh, but I want to drop something on the screen real quick that okay. one of our listeners recommended. Let me see if I can pull this up real quick. So, as y'all can see on the screen there, there is an actual cash app address. <laughs> so, one of our listeners said, hey, you know, I watch a lot of podcasts and they promote their cash app. So, you know, we want to bless you with a little something because we appreciate what you're doing. On top of that, like and subscribe what we do. I always forget to ask y'all, so please go over to our channel and like and subscribe. But... You know, if you want to drop some coin on me and Shay, we just set up the cash app. There you go. So that'll be strolling throughout the show. Um, you know, if you want to make our phones ding, we greatly appreciate it. I mean, it's going back in the sober, but, you know, someone recommended it. I'm not against it. So so there you go. That, but, seemed, um, that seemed to perk you up a little bit. Y'all, please, you know, go ahead and um, contribute to We Are Sober. 
of yeah. our cash app because he just got a little, you know, a little pep. Money so. is my language. Money is my love language. <laughs> Money is my love language. So, hey, check it out. Here's our ad for this week. This week's sponsor is Black Friday. Black Friday is a dynamic, radical approach to creating more, inclusive opportunities for black agents and expanding possibilities for insurance companies. Register today to secure direct access to markets, expand your business and learn about the products and services that leading insurance companies have to offer. For more information visit blackfriday.akoinsuranceconsulting.com. Now back to the Soba Live podcast. All right, so we're family. So we hope to see some of y'all in DC. Uh, I'll be flying in Thursday. Uh, we have the event on Friday at the gathering spot in DC. If you have not registered, I encourage you to do so. I believe all of the swag bags are gone, but you can still come and attend and have a great Definitely. time. And we look forward to meeting some of you all. Um, also, if you would like to promote your business, your your brokerage, your agency on the podcast, hit us up at connect at we are sober excuse me connect at sobermember.com and uh let us know we have some spots available so i'll also be at black friday as well now i'm not heading out there thursday i'll be there friday um but for those of you who cannot make it we might link up um over the weekend i will be at the invest fest um through earn your leisure which i think is a really really dope uh, event and I'm hopeful that they continue to take that you know year after year and continue that. Also, if you are in the Atlanta area, especially our SOBA members, I will also be this Saturday out volunteering for one of our nonprofit partners of SOBA Ignite Resource Center. They are doing a huge back to school giveaway um, at the Georgia International Convention Center. You don't you just look it up if you don't know the address. And um, you can hit me up on Facebook and let me know that you're going to be there. I would love to have you all come and kick it with us at our table. So lots going on uh, this yeah. weekend. And uh, stay tuned to the wall. Pay attention to the wall because that's where we drop a lot of information. So um, if you don't catch the podcast, always check the wall. We drop everything going on um, over there. So let's jump into tonight's topic. I don't. We didn't really come up with a name I have on my notes, reclaiming black wealth. Mm -hmm. I know we, we, you know, messed around with a few names and, you know, we didn't settle on one, but you kind of came up with tonight's topic, kind of lead us into what made you go in this direction for tonight's conversation. Yeah. So my thought process behind it, what, what popped up for me was, the question of whether or not reclaiming black wealth is important um, for someone like me. And I'm going to take a strong assumption here and say someone like you, we know that reclaiming black wealth is important. And the reason I did that, it, what really popped out to me was the story that we all heard um, probably the last few weeks about Bruce's beach out in California yeah. being returned to black family a um, hundred years after the city used the law to steal it. And it says California governor apologizes for the city's seizure as though, I mean, I guess apologies are cool, but 
when you think about the wealth that was that was lost, that was stolen, it wasn't lost, it was it was stolen from this family and their descendants, how much is that apology really worth? Right. You know, but but again, I'm not gonna knock the apology, but basically, um, like in, in 1912, Willa and Charles Bruce bought land in Manhattan Beach in LA, and it was a seaside suburb, turned it into a thriving resort. Uh, FUBU, for Blacks, by Blacks. And they kept it going despite harassment and violence from white neighbors, but and that was 1912. So in the 1920s, um, the Manhattan Beach City Council used eminent domain, which just happened here not too far from me. A, a um, elder, he's probably in his 80s, barbershop, and maybe, maybe it was time for him to get from behind the chair, but he could have been he could have passed that on he could have passed that wealth on to someone not even maybe his children but someone of his choice right so this is what happened to the um bruces and what's crazy is they said that they were going to use it for a park but the land lay unused unused for years until it was transferred to the state in 1948 and, um, you know, this is one story and this is one story of victory in a sense because they got it back. But the fact that they lost it or didn't have it for so many years is is just blood curdling. I mean, it's, it, it just when you think about the number of families and we all know we all, if we really think about it, we all know someone personally, especially those of us in the South, I would say, who grew up in the South. We all know, or we have families that this same, very same thing happened to in yeah. different ways. Um, just wealth being stolen from us, and um, you know, I approached I approached this as with the question of is reclaiming black wealth even important? Because when you think about the images um, that are really shoved down our throats nowadays, from Instagram to the television to movies to all of these dreamy images and you've got people out here chasing wealth as though, and I'm not going to say wealth is not attainable. We know that I'm, I'm striving toward like wealth. I can't even imagine. And I'm not going to stop. But at the same time, are we so busy looking at the, what ifs, the glitzy stuff that's not real, the stuff that's not even based in reality and how people and teaching you how to gain wealth. Um, day to day, year over year, is so much of that going on that we don't even care, you know what I'm saying, about reclaiming wealth, even for the individuals who have families and know that there's wealth out there, you know, to be claimed. Like, I, I just question that about where we are. Yeah. Yeah. So I think part of the the issue we're having is there's so many distractions. And to your point, I think a lot of people are chasing quote unquote riches Mm -hmm. and not wealth, right? Because a lot of stuff that we see people, you know, posing with or whatever, they're not, they don't really have value. They're not really assets, Mm -hmm. right? They're depreciating in assets in many cases when we look at the cars and, you know, the jewelry and, and, and some of the other things that, you know, people that have obtained a certain amount of success show, right? They call it lifestyle marketing, 
you know, Ty mm -hmm. Lopez used to sit in front of his Lambo talking about, you know, how many, how many books he read and selling courses and things like that. So I think it's very easy to get caught up. And because of that, so many people have really lost the true meaning of what wealth is, right? I always go back and love the, the Chris Rock statement when, you know, he said Shaq is rich, but the guy that signs the back of his check is wealthy. Right. So you look at Shaq. Now, Shaquille O'Neal, I, I have to give him, you know, his props. He has yeah. turned out to be an incredible businessman. Yeah. Right. But, you know, back in the day, we would see him with the fur coats going to the Laker games and, you know, the nice cars and, and different things like that. And I think that's where the trappings came. But, you know, really getting back to a conversation on what wealth really looks like, I think has to be interjected back in the conversation. Because, you know, depending on what generation you talk to, there's different viewpoints on that. Like, I see these this, this younger generation, I see them getting it, right? But some of the, some of our older, I, I, not necessarily baby wounds, maybe me, Gen X, um, and people a little older, you know, have kind of got caught in that struggle where they just haven't been able to obtain it. Mm -hmm. So now it's almost like I'm I'm just not going to get it, right? We were taught, you know, go to school, get good grades, go to college, get a job. You know, that was never really the key to wealth. Like, you're not going to work your way to wealth. There are so no. many different components that you need to learn investing and, and different things like that that we were never taught. So they just never saw work. Yeah. So you have that generation, that that part of, you know, our, our culture, just like, you know, it doesn't work. But these young kids are getting it. So I think but, just making sure we have that conversation is very key. Before we go to Jeff, thanks, Jeff. And peace to you, too. It's good to see your name. Good to see you joining the conversation. I want to read his comment. But before I do, um, I just want to talk about what I feel like we bought into Um I'm not that um, close to your age, but mm. I'm still in that bubble. And mm. what I remember is not being given a choice um, of going to college. It was more so like, um, what school are you going to? Right. It wasn't like, are you going to school? Are you doing this? I absolutely love ceramics. I would spend all day in high school. Um, yeah, I went to public school, so you kind of do a little bit of what you want. So I was stuck in the ceramics and in the... Um, photo lab all day. And I, I still made it to college. I still made it out or whatnot. But I believe what we bought into was a look, right? We bought into a look or a status quo that our parents and their parents really, really pushed. It's like, you're going to be an upstanding citizen. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be this, this, and that pushing us basically into a kind of a place of, of even if it's self-employment, not necessarily business, not necessarily growing wealth at a clip that we needed to, but more so a look. And so as time change, times change, it makes sense for someone like yourself. Your, your, kids are, your, your kids are pretty much adults at this point, right? So the conversations that you're having with them, I already know without asking you, that's not your conversation to them. Mm -hmm. What college are you going to? I already know that you guys are, you're expressive, creative. You seem to really support them. 
and they have a under they have a better understanding, I would assume, of wealth than many. But um, I want to get to Jeff's com uh, comment. He says, "Our people look to celebrities and influencers as a measuring stick for wealth, almost as if what those people have will magically become theirs." Like, I'm sorry. I just want to I just want to do that one more time. Our people look to celebrities and influencers as a measuring stick for wealth. How crazy is that? These are make-believe situations, right? Yeah. Almost as if what those people have will magically become theirs. That's 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 a big deal, and and I believe that he's right, and that's why there's no shortage of these images to keep you what you said earlier distracted from what's in front of your face. I mean, how many times do we talk about people getting up? As soon as you wake up, first of all, the phone is waking you up. Yeah. And then you start to scrolling and filling your mind with all of these images and conjuring thoughts of um, I'm not enough. I don't have enough. And all these things looking outside of yourself. That's what that's what Jeff is talking about. And it's just yeah. keeping us where we're not focused on our real movement. Yeah. I think he has a second part of his comment. Black wealth is attainable, but the road to those riches is watered down. The game is to be told, not sold, but the hustle isn't included. Okay, Jeff, hustle what you just going to jump on on here? Like hustle not included. Yeah, I mean, you 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 look at images. Yes, I am a little older than you, Shay. So, like, you had two opposites of the coin when I grew up on TV. You had Good Times, and you had the Jeffersons. Right. Those were TV shows that I blow, I grew up on that had black influence. So we already know the story of good times, you know, lived in the projects, always struggling. And then you had George Jefferson, who was an entrepreneur. He owned the cleaners. Right. right. It wasn't until the Cosby show came out, I think, mm -hmm. that we really started looking at this could be a reality. Yeah. You know, for us. Nobody wanted the good time story, even though a lot of us lived. I grew up in New York City, so I understood the projects and all that. And then, you know, the George Jefferson thing, you know, owning your own stuff was kind of that was far fetched. You know, I didn't really grow up hearing about entrepreneurship and, and business ownership and things like that. So, you know, although I appreciate and enjoyed those shows, I never connected to either. Mm. And even though, you know, Cosby was a doctor and, you know, his wife was a lawyer and those weren't things that I projected to be, it did give you a sense of possibility and hope. Yeah. Like here's this black family, you know, they have great jobs, but their family doesn't operate that much different than mine. You know, you have sibling disputes, mm -hmm. you know, kids doing crazy stuff, the parents doing their own thing. And we were really able to connect, but now you know, with social media, so much of that stuff is just unrealistic, unobtainable. Yeah. And and not because we can't get riches or wealth. It's just because most of that's not even real. Like well, there was you... a story that came out um, a couple of months ago about all these rappers that are, are renting homes, mm. you know, um, and, and going broke because instead of buying they're renting, paying all this money and, you know, losing these homes like everybody else with all this craziness going on in the economy. So we're trying to base our reality off of stuff that ain't even real. Yeah. And then, and even if someone gave us some pushback and, you know, 
said, well, you know, what about social currency? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm purporting this lifestyle because, you know, um, the likes and the putting me up as an influencer is a way for me to gain wealth. Well, even when you talk about that, I think that social currency has its place. But even when you are put out there and you're able to make money, you know, through these images and whatnot, where is that money going? Yeah. You know, if it's just going back into renting a home and renting crazy cars and jewelry and things of that nature, it just it just it's 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 a sad it's a sad situation. Now, of course, we don't want to have a total podcast um, that's doom and gloom or whatever, but there are solutions out there. Um, and it's not a you know, it's not a one and done. It's not an either yeah. or. There are several things that together can help us continue to move out of that space um, of just of not having. And um, I thought it was really cool one day we were talking and you shared this book with me. I'm going to put it up there. History of the Black Dollar and that's by Angel Rich. And the way you brought the conversation on, I don't even know if you realized that I like clicked into it like that, but you talked about how she has this book and talks about the five different instances in the history of this country where black wealth was stolen. And I really, really would like to have more conversation, this conversation and just have it more in depth and go over um, some of that so that we can really, like I said, so we can really contrast what it is we're seeing right now, right? All the fakery where we really are as a people and as individual families, and then just look at a history of our experience in this country. It's not all about looking outside of yourself or your community, right? It's about really understanding who you are, what you have access to, and where we come from. Yeah. And that's kind of how I framed the conversation. I broke it down into, you know, how we lost it, or better said by you, how it was taken from us, you know, how we get it back and how we keep it. So I, I think I, I saw Angel uh, Rich on the Breakfast Club a couple of years ago and, you know, dope interview. She mentioned the book and she briefly talked about, you know, those times where black wealth is stolen. I, I ran out and copped the book and um, I read it over a year or so ago, but there's so many more instances i think she went over five mm-hmm. and um th- there's so many stories that you know we can trace back to you know black wealth being stolen so i know there's some of those from the book you wanted to go over and i jotted down a couple too that i don't remember if they were in the book or not but you know we can talk about you know that a little bit like how how it was stolen from us well So let's just run it down then. Um, The five instances that she calls significant economic moments in history that helped shape America, um, straight thievery, slavery, sharecropping, convict leasing, the Little Rock Nine, Black Wall Street, and she talks about civil rights and then also the Great Recession. So a little bit more and i think what i would like to do if you're fine with it is for the next couple podcasts that we don't have an interview 
that we give more data, we give more stats, we give more background to these times in history. And, and like I said, it's not about highlighting our losses. It's about highlighting what we as a people have been able to create over and over and yeah. over again. And then the responsibility of reclaiming that wealth, right? And then insurance is our space. Yeah. Just looking at that relationship between wealth and insurance and where insurance really plays a part. So if you're okay with that, I would love to have this conversation ongoing and you know have our viewers chime in a little bit. Maybe our viewers will be able to contribute some stories um, to that loss or thievery um, of yeah. wealth, if you will. Yeah, because I mean, you know, I've experienced some personal situations in my family, you know, going back and, and looking through our history where, you know, there were certain things that we had and we lost. Some of it was due to ignorance, right? Because we, we didn't know. Like we had property in Brooklyn that today, you know, all brownstones that are selling for millions of dollars, you know, that we lost. Um, there, there's other stories. So, yeah, there, there's so many, you know, different things that we can look at that contributed to part of where we are now. And and let me just be clear and say this, like, you know, to your point, Shay, we're definitely not dwelling and I'm not knocking, you know, where anybody's hustle or where they are, because with this conversation, you have to have understanding, mm -hmm. right? We didn't get here just by happenstance overnight. You know, we, we've gone through a lot. And, and to your point, for us to be able to be in the position we are today where we're still fighting and we're still competing is a credit to the resilience of our people. So I always want, you know, to, to, to lead with that because it's easy to, you know, just knock and be like, you know, we, we don't understand this or we, we're not smart with money or this or that. No, that that's not the case. You know, we are doing hella good based on where we've come from. And when you read these stories about how many times that we had a leg up only to get it snatched right from under us, man, you talk about being frustrated. Mm. And not just frustrated, I mean, downright angry at sometimes. You know, we, we talked about the loss of Bill Russell. You know, I, I think about some of the stories that were shared about him, you know, as he played, he played in Boston. Right. So you you have players today talking about how tough it is playing in in Boston, you know, in front of that crowd. Imagine back when he was playing. Right. And and he couldn't hide. I mean, you talking about a seven foot man that was dominating a black right. man dominating the court. Right. I'm, I'm sure he went through a lot. So, you know, just seeing what we've been able to build time and time again is always encouraging to me. Definitely, definitely. Um, as we have this conversation, and I'm gonna I'm gonna land on that uh, before we sign off. I do want to land on back. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of bring back some of the things that you talked about. Our children, um, Bill Russell. So I'm not ignoring that at all. But what I do want to just put out there is, as we're having this conversation, you all, we do want to align um, our wealth, 
right? The conversation about our wealth in this country, we want to align it with solution talk. Because again, although there's been a lot of loss, all the time we consistently gain. And so some of the solutions that um, Dr. Rocky Moore, um, Dr. Maya Rocky Moore, who is the CEO for Center for Global Policy Solutions, she did the forward uh, for this for this book that I'm getting into that, that, that TP read. And Dr. Rocky Moore talks about some of the solutions being um, greater income earning, changing, well, actually, I'm sorry, those, those, that was my summary. Um, Dr. Rocky Moore basically says the biggest task ahead is launching and re achieving a wealth equity policy, political agenda, and she talks about um, financial literacy for K through 12. Now, I'm going to add to that and say greater income earning, um, changing the spending patterns, and going against the grain of popular culture. We have got to monitor the amount of these images that we take in and then judge ourselves by, like Jeff says so eloquently, um, we are measuring ourselves against things that are not realistic. And so I just want to, to make sure that we get into a conversation on the solutions as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, from my expertise, solution, excuse me, insurance is definitely part of that conversation. Yeah. It has to be. Yeah. Like, regardless of what your financial background is, you can choose to make the next generation, your kids, your 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 grandkids, millionaires. Right. And you don't need a lot of financial literacy. Um, it's just a decision. Mm -hmm. And again, these are conversations we need to consistently be having in our community. We have to be a broken record with some of these conversations because with slavery and so many things that have been put in place over generations to keep us down, we've missed out on a lot of information that other communities have used to get ahead right so there's a popular book that a lot of people know about um called what would the rockefellers do mm. right yeah. so I, I read this book a few years ago garrett b gunderson how to with how the wealthy not the rich mm -hmm. get and stay that way and how you can too right so i know we're not going to get into a full conversation about life insurance but i just want to share some of the chapters that are in this book right okay. this book i believe was written in 1996 so again sometimes we're, we're behind we're talking about infinite banking now in in 2022 and this is not the start of the conversation but it's hot in our community right now right and has been for about the last two years this guy put this book out in 96 after doing you know years of research so this conversation has been around for a while but one of the chapters, can I really have my own family bank? Hmm. What cash flow insurance really means? Finding money to fund your bank. Why whole life insurance beats other alternatives. Setting up your family bank and cash flow insurance the right way. Turning the death benefit into a living benefit. Buying your net worth instead of building it. 
I mean, the, these these are are keys and pillars that they've used to build generational wealth. While we were trying to lay a foundation because so much had been stolen for us, we were rebuilding. They had already laid a foundation, and generation after generation, they were building. We're still some of us are first generation. You know, when it comes to business ownership and, and understanding money and applying some of these principles. So, you know, you look at that and again, we have to consistently beat that drum. I always say, you know, buy wealth Sorry, until you can build you it. Say that again? OK, Siri, I don't know who you're talking to. <laughs> um, that means they listening, Shay. We, we on the radar. We talking about Uh-oh. stuff they don't want us to talk about. Um, but yeah, you know, buy wealth till you can build it, right? Yeah. We we all want that million dollar business, or you know, we all want to go to the next level of whatever we're doing. But we don't control time, right? You can be five years into your twenty year plan, and and boom, you're gone. That ends with you. That's one thing about that's that's one difference between riches and wealth. Riches end with you. Wealth is generational. It's multi generational. Right. So. Again, you may be five years into that 20 year plan, but make sure you secure that legacy, regardless of what your financial backing is, by simply putting a life insurance policy in place. Absolutely. Amen. We just need to take this part of the podcast, clip that up and put that everywhere. Um, I do want to add to that and we'll get into this more. I know we're running up against our hour, you all, but not only life insurance on the side of putting policies in place, but also where we sit as insurance agents and agency owners, it's a pretty, pretty lucrative space to be in um, from an income earning space. So many times we've heard that one of the keys to financial stability, financial security is being able to be in a position where your income potential is high. Our income potential is literally uncapped in this space. And so you do want to have your policies in place um, and have all of the pieces to that financial pie in place. But again, for those folks who are not sure about where to be when it comes to high income earning potential, insurance is definitely the place to be. One of the reasons, one of the main reasons that SOBA exists, Society of Black Agents, is so that we can help agents direct their careers in this space because it is so lucrative. So we'll continue to have um, these conversations and really highlight insurance and its relationship to wealth, um, wealth building, wealth security, um, all of that, all of that. So, um, so anyway, I know we're hitting the top of the hour. Anything else you wanted to add? No, uh, I don't want to get into anything right now with only, you know, a couple of minutes left because I, I kind of think it's going to take a little more time to really flesh out the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you all for hanging with us because again, this is a really important conversation to have a lot of nuance to it. A lot of stats to put to it to really put things into perspective and we are going to do just that right so hey sober family before i do let you go again remind you guys we will be in dc uh later this week hope to see some of you there um i want to welcome all of our new uh, agents to the group i think we 
welcomed about, about 10 last week. So welcome to the family. And again, if y'all want to bless us with some cash app or you want to run an ad on the podcast, be sure to hit us up. The cash app is on the screen or you can always email us at connect at sobermember.com. So Shay, we usually let you close it out with some nugget. You got anything for us this week? I really do. And I really, I really feel it. It's so genuine. Um, Isaac Mitchell says, I appreciate the conversation. Jeff says, see you on Friday. Jeff, we are looking forward to seeing you on Friday. And just looking at those comments, just knowing that we have people riding with us, appreciating what we're doing, supporting us, giving us that extra motivation to keep going. I really wanted to just talk about the fact that real wealth, our realest wealth is not in things at all. It's in people, it's in each other. So when we talk about securing our next generation and the generations after, that's our real wealth. You know, when we talk about having sober and a community of people that push each other forward in a real way, that's real, that's real tangible. I I would say, I'm sorry, that's real intangible wealth. It creates tangible wealth, um, but it's intangible. You, You cannot ignore what happens when we come together and you can't ignore when we pour into our young people and like I said, produce produce greatness. So that's what we do. Do more of it. Even if you don't have children, do not act like you cannot pour into these young people. They need it. They're crying out for it. Just like I said, that's that's really where our real wealth lies. So thank you all for joining us and uh, we're going to keep it going. All right. So with family, have a good one. We'll catch you next time.